0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sard Interrupt podcast. This is episode 124, a Monday rundown. Had a little bye week last week from football. We just had a lot going on, but we are back and we had a lot to talk about. Talked about the Yankees postseason and we talked about them after the season as well. Then after that, we talked a little Astros and Nets because they are actually still playing baseball. Then we went over the new manager hires. After that, we went up and down the NCAA football schedule from last week, talked about some games that we're looking forward to this week. And then we did some first impressions of our NBA season so far. It's been a lot of fun. Can't wait to keep watching. Of course, we talked to local teams as well. We will be back this Wednesday in studio with an NFL Wednesday. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Check out the website, the greatest website in the world. SorrySports.com and shoot us an email if you have anything to say. SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Enjoy the pod.
1: Welcome back, To sorry to interrupt. Sorry for the bye week last week, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that came up and sometimes, you know, unless people want to start chipping in and uh, and paying for us and getting us some sponsors, this stuff could happen, but we're back now, Tom.
0: What's up? What's going on, man? We're both feeling a little bit better. Had quite a long week last week. Sorry we missed the NFL, but you should be happy because I didn't gain, you know, another week's lead on you in the picks.
1: We're keeping that fast food diet at bay for another week, thank God, Um, and hopefully I'll I'll make a little bit of a comeback this week, and we'll get back on track, but this is a Monday rundown that we've been collaborating over the last few weeks with, and last Monday we knew we had to get it in, we were hoping to do it as part of the Wednesday NFL, which we've done the previous weeks, but time sensitive, we had to do our NBA preview, and and that was was, uh, taking the most priority, but... Back to a traditional Monday rundown and Tom, I don't wanna do it, you don't wanna do it, but we've gotta we've gotta rip off the band-aid one more time because we have not given any closure to the two thousand and nineteen New York Yankees. A lot of people probably thought that we didn't do this last week as we needed a little bit of a recovery time. We were ready to go. It just didn't work out, but are you ready to do this, man? You ready to open
0: it open up the wound again? absolutely we're we're to the yankees favorite yankees fans favorite part of the season of recent years the off season where we can see what kind of free agents they get because they haven't won a fucking world series in 10 years it's been tough man and you know
1: the landscape of baseball not to make any excuses but the landscape of baseball is certainly different than it was even 10 years ago and especially when the yankees were winning four out of five 20 years ago you know it's just it's a, there's a lot more parity. There's a lot more teams that are spending. There's a lot more young talent spaced out throughout the uh, throughout the teams. And we've seen it. it it's become increasingly difficult to, to beat the hurdles of wild card games and division series and LCSs. And let's be honest, man. When we, when we were looking at this series and we were getting excited for it, when you took back the fandom and we took back everything that we were saying could break right for the Yankees and whatnot, Houston was the better team. They were the better team all year. Now, the Yankees certainly had their opportunities and didn't cash in, which we'll get into. But, you know, it was upsetting. It was disappointing. You would have liked to see them win, knowing that they had chances more so than they even did in 17, I'd say. Even though in 17, they had a 3-2 lead heading back to Houston. I just felt like the Astros were the better team. And um, it, it proved not by much. Not by much, but marginally, and that that proved to be the case uh, in this six-game series.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The Astros were the better team all year, and honestly, when it comes to this time of year, this is when your flaws show up. The Yankees were terrible with runners in scoring position. They lived in, I mean, they they had a billion home runs this year. That's where they probably got a majority of their runs. And, you know, their starting pitching kind of came back to bite them in the ass, and the bullpen... I mean, when you don't have good starting pitching at the end of the day, sometimes those bullpen games that you throw, they're not going to work out for you. And and I think that's going to be a massive focal point for this team in the offseason.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And it's actually funny because past Yankee teams have made a lot of hay on home runs and not necessarily were the best situational hitting team. They were a top three team in the entire major leagues this year with runners in scoring position.
0: I uh, know, so I absolutely really, agree with you, but there was no trend. That,
1: they, well, really, just in the just in the Astro series, they were they had a lot of big hits in that Twin series. Um, they just couldn't get it done because they faced better pitching. That was really to me the problem. And again, you had guys who you need to come up in big spots that were just anemically bad in this post in that series in particular I mean Encarnacion I think it was one for 30 Gardner didn't do much um you know Stanton hardly played um you know uh Didi was a non non-factor Sanchez was horrible I mean they had up and down the line even up until game yes. six or shell or hadn't done anything I thought Judge actually had a pretty good series I mean given the fact he's a strikeout guy he hit a couple out, and he had some good at bats. <laughs> Lemayhugh Torres and Judge, I thought, were the best hitters in this lineup. Um, yeah, it's depressing. Other than when that, it was probably one of ball. your
0: best three hitters, and he really he didn't play. I mean, listen, defensively and all around game, I thought he was excellent. But when it came to hitting with runners in scoring position, and you can go all analytics on me here if you want, he did not perform too well. I know he had a big home run in the series and whatnot, but runners in scoring position, it was super disappointing.
1: So this is why, though you know, when we talk to people or we talk amongst ourselves during the regular season, as to, okay, how is this team built? Well, you see, in games like this, it's inc- it's very difficult to string together four, five, six hits against a pitching staff like Houston's. So you do have to be reliant on the home run. Like it, it, that's that to me is one of the dumbest arguments that I hear. Because, and Boone says it all the time. What are the likelihood what is the likelihood of getting four, five, six hits in an inning against a Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole? Basically next to nothing. So on the mistakes that they make, you have to be able to hit out. Didi just missed that one in game three that would have actually given them the lead at the time. He hit it all the way to the warning track. And really all it was was they weren't they didn't hit the home run. They didn't capitalize on the mistakes. And Garrett Cole in game three Uh, Justin Verlander in Game 2, even Zach Granke in Game 4, the Yankees had them on the ropes multiple times in each of those games and were poised to break through and just never could. To your point, the Raiders in scoring position completely fell apart in this series.
0: Absolutely, and listen, we we probably sound like a pain in the ass because the Yankees are in a really good position to compete for the years to come. I mean, they have more money than God. We'll see if Hal Steinbrenner can open up the perch strings just a little bit this year. I'd like to see it, especially we're going to talk about free agency in a little bit. But going up and down this team, their bullpen is still going to be really good. Even if Chapman opts out, I think they're going to re-sign him. And he just That'll won, be interesting. He just won reliever of the year, by the way, for the AL.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting. It, it's gonna depend really on is he trying to maximize his annual value and he and he'll maybe just seek another three or four year deal, or is he really trying to get another five year deal? And I think if it's if it's the latter, I, I hate to say it because yeah, I don't he's think great and after I don't seeing think what they can...
0: did with Patrick Corbin, who I'm gonna bring up in a few seconds, I don't I don't s yep. I, I think they're gonna stick to a year and they're not gonna change their minds.
1: Yeah, I think, too, and that might be the better case because his v has dropped. He is still great, but he had hiccups last year. This was the best year he's had as a Yankee up and down the line and Absolutely. obviously you know, culminating in the years a, as well. Exactly, man, and I think that's huge for him, and he has you know almost mastered that slider now where, okay, he's not throwing 104, 105 anymore, but he's throwing 100, and he can still get it up to 101. And he's sna- snapping off that slider. I mean, that's still a, a deadly combination. It's just, can you pay a closer twenty million dollars a year, or you know, eighteen million dollars a year for another five years? When with all the mileage he has on that arm, I don't know if you necessarily can, especially with the way the Yankees. I mean, if they do anything great, it's fi- it's finding relievers. You still have Britton, you still have Canely. you still have Ottavino, you still have Green. You know, you there are free agents out there. You could maybe convert another one of your guys into a reliever if you so choose. I mean, L'Elizaga. I think that they, yeah, well, I think part of the reason they they had to bring back Britain and they wanted Adavino was they wanted cover in case Chapman did ultimately opt out. But yeah, you you made a great point before, man, about the bullpen, and that's something that I want to talk about very briefly. You know, people mention how. In two thousand fifteen the Royals, you know, piggybacked basically just a bullpen into a world championship. People don't talk about how great they were at situational hitting either, but you know, you watch these guys pitch every day. And when you're the Houston Astros and you're facing the same guys five out of the six games, you know, eventually it, it, there there's not much to Chad Green. You know, it's really just picking up the fastball. And Lane spitting the on field. the high one Right And you know A guy like Ottavino Who just didn't have it This postseason A guy like Canely You know he's coming at you With the power change And the f- power fastball You know what Britain is You know what Chapman is And no matter how good they are They lose some of their Their advantage When you're when they're pitching every day Not just from a work Not just from You know A, a workman like way But also Just the mystery And your the deception Is gone too I mean you're, it's so different than facing a dominant starter for seven innings twice, as opposed to a reliever for one inning or three batters six times.
0: Absolutely, man. And, and again, when you only when you're only working with two pitches, I don't care how dominant they are, those Astros hitters who obviously are top of the line hitters, they're gonna figure it out, and they did. They did, and that's and that
1: to me is the only issue with this Yankee team. There really aren't any, and if they hit better with runners in scoring position, the, the, the series could have been different because they didn't. They actually outscored Houston in this series, um, which is something that doesn't get discussed all that often. The Astros just came up with the bigger hits at, at bigger moments, but I thought the Yankees pitching staff. I mean, Paxton turned into gem in Game Five uh, to keep the season alive. Tanaka was great in that Game One. Um, really, even though it was. A, but see, that's the that's my thing. And really, um, who pitched Game Three? Um, Severino. He went. Two, he gave up two runs in five. I mean, that's good enough to win games. You know, you just ran into Garrett Cole, and even that his not his best. He went seven shutout innings. And to me, that's what keeps Houston good because I don't think the Houston bullpen is particularly good. No. But when they have two games. I mean, I think this series was won in Game 5. A lot of people are going to talk about Game 2. And the reason I say Game 5, even though Houston lost that game, was Justin Burlander gives up four runs in the first inning. He throws about 27 pitches. He goes seven innings, knowing that Game 6, without that travel day because of the rain out, was going to be a bullpen day. So he emptied the tank knowing that i got to preserve this game. I, and he found a way to go seven. There's not a Yankee pitcher... Who can do that unless they're
0: throwing a jet? Not at all. And that to me was what won that game. The Yankees don't have a true ace like that, and the Astros have two, probably two and a half, when Granky's on his game. And the Yankees don't have a pitcher like that. The second there's a little bit of trouble, and I don't blame him because they're not capable of it. But but um, Aaron Boone's going to pull the trigger on the bullpen. Well, and that's because that's how this team is built. No, and they're and... not capable of it. And I think, listen, you can talk analytics all you want. You know, I'm, I'm going to name a few pitchers that the Yankees have let go stupidly over the last few years. You start with Verlander. That one's kind of justifiable because he, I don't think anybody could have predicted he was going to have this type of turnaround. And- no, and, that, and
1: the Astros gave up a lot of prospects, and, and they also took up a shit ton of money.
0: Now you look at the other guys. I think these guys are a little more inexcusable. The first guy I'm going to mention, and I know he's not great, but he's probably better than a majority of what the Yankees had to offer aside from their top line starters. That's Dallas Keuchel, where all it was was money. This guy wasn't looking for a five-year, two-year, even. He signed a one-year deal with Atlanta, and they just outbid the Yankees. And you don't hear that too often.
1: No, you don't. I mean, him. I, I was interested to see where you were going to go there. He's a guy that again to me though I don't see him making the difference in this in a series because when the Yankees have made upgrades in the rotation and we talked about this back at the trading deadline of who did you really want them to get you know there was nobody out there even strowman who I was who I really liked I liked
0: there too. was
1: nobody there was nobody there though that was going to make a giant leap in your ability to match up with the color of Erling you know, those no, pitchers just weren't because, there.
0: That's because they're the the two best pitchers in baseball right now, probably but one or two for I, the Cy Young Award. But the thing and is, the Yankees, when that bullpen, the, the, the thing that upsets me about the Yankees, and I think a Keichel or a Stroman would have helped. You alluded to it earlier. That bullpen got overexposed. They didn't get outworked, but they got overexposed. Only in that series, though, and and I think well, it was more to do- win the World Series here, though, are we not? I mean, you go all out no, to win the World no, Series. No, we are.
1: I just think that's how that team was
0: built, meaning
1: that if you got a Stroman or Keichel, and let's say they pitched over a Severino or over you know a Hap in a game six when Hap went, I think, two or three innings, and you replaced him with Keichel, are any of those guys the guys that you're going to say, okay, that's why we won? Because they, they, they were going to pull... They're going to pull a guy like that anyway because the team is built around the bullpen. So if you give me five good innings, you're coming out unless you are top-of-the-line t- tier, which is where I want to get to the next guy Obviously to your Gary point, Cole. and that's Patrick. I was going to say Patrick Corbin. Well,
0: Patrick Corbin slash Garrett Cole. Patrick Corbin, it was about what? The extra year, right? The Yankees offered him four. They didn't want to give him six. <sighs> it's a fucking shame. It really is. And not trading for Garrett Cole is another shame. And maybe they get him this offseason. I'd really be interested to see that. But they should have traded for Cole or signed Corbin. One or the other. Two obviously would have been incredible.
1: So the more egregious one to me is Corbin. Because, Because again, that came came down to money and years. And what I don't like about this new-age Yankee philosophy, and there's not much to not like. I mean, dude, they've won 203 regular season games in the last two years. They've been to at least game six of the LCS two of the last three years. They, they scout better than just about anybody. You look at this year, the hashtag next man up slogan that, I mean, because of 30 players on the IL, they still won 103 games. There's a lot to, there's not really a lot to get upset about. But, you know, I'm not a proponent of throwing money at the big guy all the time. You've got to look at circumstance. But if you were serious about Corbin, which all indications were that they were. You knew somebody was going to give him six years. So if you knew that you weren't going to go that far, then why did you even entertain that? You know, you have to overpay for these guys. You're not going to get a top of the line free agent starter at your price, probably. I mean, we saw what happened with CC and Burnett when we got them. Now Burnett was a little bit of a shit show, but in '09 he he had some big games. But CC was dear ace. If there's no CC on that 0-9 team, there's no World Series. And we're talking about not winning a title then since two thousand. Now, CC had some tough years there in the middle with injuries and his personal life and figuring out how to become a new pitcher, and then, you know, he eventually did and he gave us a few good years and but the back end of that contract's nasty. Most of them are. But you can live with that if you get a World Series out of it. And Cashman always preaches, we need to win championships. Well, the only way to get championships is by starting with a championship. And if Corbin sucks and he gets hurt or if he never pitches for you again, but that first year he's the difference maker in you being a World Series team or not... I'm sorry, if you're going to say you're swimming in those waters, you got to jump in. You can't wade out there and doggy paddle. you got to go fucking get their guy, and I'm going to be interested to hear about Cole. The reason I don't blame them about Cole is even though I really wanted him a couple years ago was because all trajections of his, of his career were pointing up. You had seen that with Pineda. You had seen that with Evaldi. And you'd seen that with a couple of other pitchers that the Yankees had gone out and get. Remember, Garrett Cole was not this unstoppable force in Pittsburgh. He was a guy that was that always gave the flashes of brilliance, but wasn't you know anything like this. And do you remember what the Pirates turned down? It was Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier. Now, Miguel Andujar might be considered a bit of an afterthought right now because of Gio Urshela. And, but we can't have that short of a memory. There is no Yankee playoff team last year without Miguel Andujar because Brandon. If if you play the fallacy of the predetermined outcome, and Brandon Drury gets hurt, who the hell's playing third base last year? Neil Walker was probably going to be their everyday third baseman. Miguel Andujar was second in Rookie of the Year, and in my opinion, should have won it. So I don't blame them necessarily for not overpaying at that time. I again, like Verlander, didn't see Cole becoming this and. Sometimes you just don't get it. To me, out of the three, Corbin was the most inexcusable. And if you are going to target Cole this off season, you back up the Brinks truck, you swallow your pride, and say, "Fuck it, we got to get this guy." That's it. That's all it is to me.
0: You're absolutely right, man. And you said there's not too much to complain about. But I'm in this shit for championships. I'm not watching these fucking games to get excited for the off season. And I'm not. No, watching, you know what I mean. And. and- I the thing that I don't like about the Yankees is the arrogance and the pompousness because listen, I mean I know there's twenty seven banners hanging, but there hasn't been one hanging since there hasn't been one hung since oh9 So shut the fuck up and start spending a little bit of money, start running this team a little bit better. Because you're right, the analytics are great, the scouting is phenomenal. They've got they've got one of the best farm systems in baseball, top to bottom. And they seem to make really solid acquisitions when it comes to a guy like DJ LeMahieu and whatever. But well, I was just going to say, all we World did. Series is when you pull that trigger on the big guy.
1: You you do, but I'm only thinking about it as far as
0: the real area of need, which is a
1: top-of-the-line,
0: ace starting no, pitcher. No, I completely you know when you agree tar- with you. Not, I'm not, not mad because about the Bryce Harper. I'm not mad. I was just going to say. Mad about Man- we were mad at the time about Manny Machado, and and we didn't even probably didn't even know who Gio Urshela was. I mean, I knew he played for the Indians, but he did. didn't do a whole lot. But And we were we were upset about it slightly, but we still love this offense. But when you have a glaring hole at a position that the Yankees struggle to develop, and aside from Severino, in the in the very recent past, and pretty much in Yankee, throughout Yankee history, the one thing that they've struggled to do is develop starting pitching. You gotta go out, you gotta open up the purse strings, and you gotta spend money on that if you're gonna be a championship team.
1: Exactly, and you know, like they, they paid the money for Stanton, which was great,
0: they you know but instead the of can- is, and, you, and you can't even justify that because that was a deal that you couldn't pass up you gave up bear you gave up starling castro and a couple you know the c-level prospects you had to go no out but and get with,
1: well you had to go out and get them but what i was really just referring to was the dollars and you know with with a guy like harper and machado you know it's a good thing that they didn't cater to their fan base and want and, and, and they stayed true to their analytics, and they stayed true to their scouting, and they took a guy like mayhew who had a better year than both of them, really, and was the was by far the team's MVP. I don't think it's even close. And you know they've done that with other guys too. So I'm not saying that you have to totally deviate from the plan and start spending hundreds of millions of dollars no, on the best to put players the mail, and you building dollars on the
0: coffin. And, and you but need if to- you're gonna. And you need to yeah, step oh, on the ahead. throat. You need to step on the throat. You need to go out last year and get a guy like Corbin. And this year, your Corbin is Garrett Cole. Well, because, and that's exactly right. I, you don't have to do it top to bottom. That doesn't have to become your new
1: mission statement even, or go back to what it was in 05.
0: I don't expect it to be 2009 where you go out and you get Brunette, you get Shara, and you get uh, CeCe. I don't expect that. But when you have a glaring hole, and the Yankees do have a pretty glaring hole, especially if Severino is the Severino we've seen recently, then you need to have a guy who, when he runs out there every five days, you know that you're getting a win.
1: Yep, and that's exactly how I feel. If you're going to say and constantly say the elite starting pitching is what we're targeting, and elite starting pitching doesn't become available all that often, if it only comes down to you didn't want to give a sixth year to a guy – then, you know what, that was really the bad job on you. Because if they had that off season, I mean, they go out and they get a James Paxson, which I love. And I still think he's going to be really good. And he showed he was great down the stretch. Not elite. But, you know, you give, the, you give the two-year deal to Hap. And at the time, and even early into the season, I liked that move because he had shown that he can win in the AL East. He's not flashy, but you know you're getting six or seven innings from him every start Well, he turned that into four, two-thirds, or five. You know, you, you, you pay the 36-year-old instead of going out and getting the 28-year-old. And I don't think it's because they're trying to be cheap. I just think that they're saying, okay, we don't need to give six years and $200 million to Patrick Corbin when we can trade for a James Paxton and, and we can re-sign a Jay Hack who went 7-0 for, for us down the stretch and we have a Luis Severino who's our, who, we, who we're counting on and we have a Masahiro Tanaka. You know, I, I understood... What their, what their thought process was And for the most part, again, they won 103 games And their mission statement is still We're building around our bullpen So they, they don't feel that they need to necessarily pay Up the ass for starting pitching When your bullpen is what ultimately is going to win you Win you a championship But there are exceptions And those exceptions are guys like Garrett Cole in free agency And Patrick Corbin in free agency And, you know, names of that ilk and if you're if you're not gonna if you're not gonna commit to that, then you have to understand that you run the risk of just not having enough horses when you get to this time of the season.
0: I completely agree with you, man. So early, early, early. What the Yankees need to do in the off season, I guess you would say prediction or our our checklist is get a get a lights out starter that's named Jared Garrett Cole. Bah, Jared.
1: <laughs> well yeah, and we'll see what happens with Strasburg, too, because he can opt out of his deal I with think Washington. Will. And the question is is does he want to go out does he want to re sign with the Nats, slash will the Nats re sign him? Does he want to go out west back to San Diego or California where he's from? Or will he entertain whoever the highest bidder is? I think I think the Yankees have to walk away. This is, you know, only obviously if, if Strasburg opts out. If Strasburg opts out, you have to land one of those two guys. And that's it. To me, that's a successful offseason. But I've got another trade for you that I can see happening because there have been low-key whispers of it over the last few years, although nobody's really bought in because the team that would be trading this player have been in contention. I would not be shocked if the New York Yankees swing a trade for Francisco Lindor of the Cleveland Indians.
0: They said that the Dodgers were the favorites for that, but I. I that the would Dodgers
1: be could be the favorite, but the Dodgers have Seeger
0: unless they're going to trade him to Cleveland.
1: Um, they have Turner, obviously. Um, they have they have players. I, it'd be hard to imagine where they're going to fit him, but we'll see what happens. Who offers the better package? I do believe Cleveland will trade him
0: because. So, what do you think the Yankees' offer would have to be to get a guy who? Is a top probably three shortstop in baseball when he's healthy and when he's playing at his best, he's the best shortstop in baseball. Well,
1: yeah, I think already what you're doing is you're saying thanks, Didi, for everything, but we're gonna let you go. Obviously, and we're gonna and we're gonna build around Glaber Torres. I think, as ridiculous as it sounds, before I get to the trade proposal, is it his best position? No. Would he be better off at second or should even third probably? But I saw enough from TJ. Uh, No, I've already been very happy with dj O'Mahew at first.
0: Okay, he made some
1: really really nice plays on the short hops, and he showed good range, and he's obviously just a naturally great defensive player. And I know first base we think of is the homer happy pull lefties or your Luke Voice of the world. But if LeMahieu hit your 25 bombs and you're getting 36 from Torres and 30 from Lindor and, you know, if Urshela can even hit 16 or 17, with Stanton, Judge in the lineup, and Sanchez, you'll get plenty of pop. So I don't think you necessarily need the the crazy prototypical first baseman. Move, him, Sign LeMahieu to an extension, give him another two, three years on top of that deal. You make him your first baseman. Torres is your second baseman. When Doors, your shortstop or shell is around third, which means that you trade Miguel and Duhart, who I know his stock is down right now because he's coming off the weight room surgery, but I'm sure he's going to be fine. And he's a guy that the Cleveland can build around as an offensive force in their lineup for years to come at third. That'll allow them to move um, Ramirez back to second. And then from there, you also look to deal with Mike Talkman or Clint Frazier. Their outfield's kind of thin, and they're going to need somebody in return for that. You might also have to give them a Luke Voigt or Mike Ford or even Greg Bird. One of those three will have to be Mm -hmm. in the deal. Let them take their pick. And then you're probably going to have to throw a starting pitcher in there, too, or a good relief pitcher. You could maybe do it from the minor leagues, or you could say... Here's a Luis Sessa, Domingo Herman, Jonathan Loaizaga. It's going to take a lot. I mean, like you said, Francisco Lindor is one of the best players in baseball and at the short list of shortstops in all baseball when he's on. And I think the dynamic he would be for the Yankees is a switch-hitting, young shortstop who you could plug in in that third, you know, between Judge and, uh, and Stanton. He's just a better player. And I love me some Didi. And the Yankees could give him the qualifying offer, see if he takes it. I could see a team like the Cincinnati Reds or the Philadelphia Phillies saying we'll give Didi you know five or six years. And and as much as I love Dee and as good of a player as he is, and as important to the locker room, to be honest he with is, you, man,
0: that's a guy that, you I, can't that I wouldn't five. give you can't him, him give. that.
1: No, and that's how I feel. You can't, you can't pay BB five, six years. You no, just no, can't. No. Uh, so you, so you, you, look at a team like Cleveland for one door. So that would be a top my wish list. too. other than that, you just go get your ace. Um, it depends on Chapman. If Chapman walks, you can probably find another reliever, maybe a Will Smith. Not our Will Smith, but Will Smith of the uh, who did he get traded to. He was with the Giants. I think he actually finished up with, with the Giants. Yeah, and then, um, you know, maybe a Daniel Hudson or something like that. You know, just, just see what's out there. If Chapman leaves, you'd like to bring another guy in. But that, to me, really is it. Um, I wouldn't look to trade in too I really wouldn't. Um, but, you know, this is becoming clogged. And after watching that game six and what her shell had hit, I mean, the guy had four hits, hit that home run, played sparkling defense all year. I mean, t- you want to talk about if you're buying stocks, He's about the, <laughs> the highest of lists if you're looking at, at projections going forward. So Absolutely. Uh, no it's, not against the, it's not against Anduar. It's just if you want the total package of de- – I mean, we saw how – many, how many runs, how many times did we watch the Yankees on defense this year and say, we won that game because of our defense? Yep. Uh, more that's than true. I can recall in
0: years. So, no, no doubt in my mind. I think that's important. Yeah, no, no. You, what, right. what are you thinking? I, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you here. Go and get your ace. spend what you have to spend. If it's a guy of Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg's level, you know, put a couple more put a couple more chips in front of them in front of them. Because listen, you saw it with Corbin. Who gives a fuck that he was a Yankees fan? He took the bag. Of course. You know, course. And, and I hate when they try and play off this Yankees thing. It was the same shit with Bryce Harper. Oh, Bryce Harper used to be a Yankees fan. Well he's not fucking twelve anymore, okay? Like, he's not playing in the Little League fucking World Series telling you that's his favorite team and his favorite player is this. They're in in this for the money. They gotta earn money, too. And I don't blame them. This is a fucking business, but... Stop playing it stop playing it off like, oh, we're gonna give him a little bit less. He's gonna take a quote unquote hometown discount. These guys don't owe you shit. Open up the bag. George Steinbrenner's fucking rolling over in his grave like I'm rolling over in my house right now because you're not <laughs> spending the money on the guys that you need to spend. And the last thing I'll say because we're gonna ta- we're gonna talk about the Yankees all off season, especially if they don't make the moves that are necessary. You've been a Stanton defender now for a long time. And I've been in your corner. Mm-hmm. And I don't question the guy's skill. Again, an average year for him is a is a Bryce Harper MVP year. But this guy, man, I mean, he cannot fucking stay healthy. I don't know if he'll ever be healthy. And it's well, a real I think, shame.
1: I think we really need to put the pause on that whole talk because he's not a guy... This year was a lost year, but it was a lost year for Severino. It was a lost year for Batansis. It was a lost year for a lot of Yankees. So, is every Duart- year,
0: so, so are we just going to say this till his, what is he, six, seven years left on his deal, I'm thinking, maybe eight? Are we just going to say this every year when he ends up on the I.L. for 50 plus games? Oh, a lost year. Can you remind me of how many games he missed
1: in 2018? How many games did he miss? Three. He played 159 of the 162 games in 2018. In 2017, he missed no time because he was an MVP. In 2016, he played 125 games. He had only one stretch of time where he missed more than this, and this is when he got hit in the face with a baseball. So I am saying that that's a fluke injury,
0: but this guy seems to be on the IL a lot more than he's not.
1: Listen, it was a stretch this year where it was a shoulder, to then it was a biceps, to then it was his knee, and because his knee never recovered, he you know busted it. Down the first baseline and his and his quad strained. That's going to happen, man. I mean, he shouldn't have been playing. Period. And it, it's a, I think it's a goddamn shame. But he's not a pussy. This is not another Ellsbury thing. But this is a guy that you Honestly, can see. Why I'm not, they want I'm not him. calling him a pussy. I'm not they, one of those fans is, that are no, that but this is why you need him. him as their. This is why they want him as their full-time DH because they know that if you're if you're going to have him play the field. He's a big guy, and he can get hurt. I'm not ready to go totally nuts. It was upsetting. It was disappointing. He's a guy that is box office that you want to see play. Yankee fans don't like him because of the money he's making and the years he's on, and he hasn't delivered them a World Series and yada, yada, yada. And I totally get why people feel that way, but you need to calm down. It was year two. Everybody else got hurt on this goddamn team. I got a lot of questions about the medical and training staff, which Brian Cashman addressed and said that there could be changes coming. All right. Everybody got hurt. They had multiple injuries. They had setbacks after setbacks. I'm going to chop this up to a year uh, because you can say the same about Severino now. And you can say the same about Judge. Judge has come back, and he's never missed it here. I'm
0: worried about all of them, and I don't question. I'm worried about all of
1: them too. You don't question their skill, and you don't question their heart or toughness. No, not at all. It's upsetting. It's disappointing. But if Encarnacion could have done anything in that series, you know the Stanton injury wouldn't have looked as bad because they probably would have been advancing and playing right now. Um, so that's really all I'm going to say on And It was a shame. year. Now Stanton is Stanton. not the time to defend them, but it is what it is.
0: It's in the mail, courtesy of Sorry Sports, I got you some yoga classes. Lay off the fucking weights for a little bit. Get a little more flexible, because clearly you're doing something wrong. These soft tissue yeah, injuries, I, bro, they're no joke. Well, the Well, the knee was when he was sliding to third,
1: and he just tore up his whole knee. I mean, again, like, it was... It was a year where a bunch of fluke shit happened. I mean, Talkman tore his quad or tore uh, strained his calf rather, just running in on a on a single to left field. Like anything that could have gone wrong for these guys, pretty much did this year. And now what you do is you look for him to hit the reset button and hit and have a strong 2020 and going forward. That's what it's going to be, I think. If he if he's the full time DH and he's not in the field nearly as much, and he has a full offseason to get better. That's what you're. That's what you're gonna get. But I understand the concern. But I lose also...
0: bro. I'm tired of these fucking injuries.
1: <laughs> it, it, something has to happen. Unless uh, he fucking
0: it, breaks his leg or something, I, I don't want to hear about this shit next year. Drink some more water and do some fucking yoga. Lose a little weight. You can still hit the ball out. <laughs> All right. And I'm not calling this way, by any means. I'm not fat shaming anybody because he's shredded out of his fucking mind. It's just too much muscle, man.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again, it, it's really just to me is I don't think it's any of that stuff because it's not it's not consistent with his with his career
0: games played. It's it's not. It, no, if he's it just was, older, would, you know? he's twenty nine years old, dude. <laughs> Bro, I'm twenty five and I'm having trouble getting out of the fucking bed. Well, that definitely says a lot more about you. And we, we can talk about your lifestyle
1: on another pod. But either
0: way, um, I was on the aisle know, last <laughs> week.
1: that's a good point couldn't even do a podcast that was pretty bad Um, yeah it it, it was a tough year but for a lot of guys but at the end of the day 103 regular season wins game 6 of the LCS some great moments with the savages in the box and and your, you know, Gio Urshela's and Mike Talkman's. I mean, this team, this team was an absolute joy to watch for a lot of reasons that were not expected. Um, and looking back, I mean, especially with the state of the rest of the New York sports landscape, the Yankees, we can, we can be upset, we can demand them sign certain guys, we can, you know, get up on our high horse and talk about how they need to be better. Every year, for six months, Yankee fans everywhere are entertained, and you know you're play- playing in October. And I know that we want to go back to the days of 12 championships in 15 years, or four and five, or whatever. But you know what? For the state of a lot of teams and a lot of baseball franchises, I mean, the Yankees are still among the gold standards. And, um it was upsetting, I wanted to win, obviously, I thought we had chances to win, but it was a fun as hell
0: season, and uh, dep- let's see what happens this off season, and we'll look forward to 2020. It wasn't fun to me. I don't root for losers. No, it had nothing Just to do kidding. with losers, I'm a Jets but... fan and a fucking <laughs> Knicks fan. But, yeah. listen, we'll talk about Rothschild, he got fired, uh, I I don't know. Uh, you said you don't care that much about pitching coaches. We're gonna have to see what they do there. I think it was about time. Honestly, if Cashman goes, I'll say it's about time for him too.
1: That's <laughs> a strong move. Uh, no, no, It's no, not gonna no, happen. Would, but no, Ka- Cashman. I think signed like a five-year deal two years ago or last year to to stay. Um, Cashman is is probably when it's, when push comes to shows, he's on the short list of two or three GMs in all baseball. Change of
0: And again, upset. well, again
1: though, who's taking who's taking this job? I, I, I would I would give Brian. I would give no. Theo's not taking his job, and Theo has underperformed. What are you talking about? Why? How can you ever tell me that you'd rather Theo Epstein than than Brian Cashman? That
0: Cub team has
1: drastically underperformed. What you, you done you for two? me lately? Che- when
0: was the last time the Cubs won the World Series? 2016. How many World Series? When was, does Theo when was have? the last time? That, when was the last time the Cubs were in the playoffs? Well, I don't care, bro. They won a championship recently. We're not that far removed, man. It's 10 years. It's not 50. First time ever, the Yankees year. didn't make the World Series, bro. This is yeah, disappointing. Well, baseball's a lot different. I'm upset, Okay. All right.
1: Well, there's a lot of Cub fans very upset in in Chicago with Epstein and how he's handled his job and the Yankees are great every year. So, no, I'm not moving on from Cashman. From Rothschild, though, I don't know how much coaches matter. I really don't. When teams hit, the hitting coaches are great. When they don't hit, the hitting coaches suck. When teams pitch well, the pitching coach is great. When the p- team stinks, then, you know, the pitching coach is at fault. Rothschild, when you're around for eight years, you're going to have your success stories and you're going to have your failures. You're going to point to Sonny Gray, Michael Pineda, and Nathan Navaldi as a few of those failures. Pineda and Navaldi have been always inconsistent. I know Navaldi went on that crazy run last year in Boston, but he came back to earth this year and was hurt and unpitchable down the stretch. For Michael Pineda, he's been the definition of inconsistent. Gray is probably the only one that you feel really bad about. But you know what? I don't know how much of that was pitching and getting along with Rothschild and how much of it was New York. I'm sure it was a combination of both. And, again, you're going to have your success stories and you're going to have your failures. Tanaka's been able to pitch to a high-end level with a 10% tear in his UCL. I'm sure that Rothschild has helped him develop that slider that he's thrown more and more. CeCe reinvented himself under Rothschild, had a few really good years. That's not a mistake. Remember Paxton's big... uh, mid-season adjustment was when Rothschild said you got to start throwing your sl- your curveball a lot more early in counts because they're sitting dead right on your fastball he won his last 10 decisions down the stretch and you're gonna have your ones that work you're every your ones that don't I'm interested to see which direction they go in one thing that I would love to see and I don't know if it'll happen but I would give David Cohen a call and see what he would do and I'm sure he would take the job in a heartbeat because he's a perfect blend of old-school He knows how to gut performances out when he's not on his game And he's been around the Yankee organization obviously is the yes announcer But he's also just huge on analytics and sabermetrics and spin rates and all that shit that the Yankees front office loves I would love to see Coney in the dugout. I think he'd be great with Boone um i don't think it'll happen but it's a name i'd love to see just from an optical standpoint you know
0: i agree with you man we'll have to see what they do in the offseason it's going to be another long one before spring training but it creeps up on us every year they fly by so let's talk about some teams that are actually playing it is 2-2 right now i'm oh, sorry 3-2 the astros won again last night and at the beginning, the this um, this national team was looking like kind of a team of destiny, but I think the Astros are too good for even a team of destiny. I think they're both teams
1: of destiny. One has been the best team all year, and those teams usually win. And the other one has more of that fairy tale component. But it, it definitely has been a tale of two series, and it's very rare that the home team hasn't won a game, and uh, that's where we stand. Um, I think the series uh, swung last night when Max Scherzer had the, didn't make his start with a pinched nerve in his neck. and Max Scherzer is the definition of bulldog, and he is just as tough as nails. So if he didn't take the mound in a World Series game with a series tie, you know he was legitimately hurt. Um, Joe Ross got the start for Washington. He wasn't terrible, but he missed it badly on a couple of pitches. And Garrett Cole was Garrett Cole last night. Um, I don't really know what else to say. It's been a series that has seen a lot of great starting pitching. Uh, some good situational hitting, some surprise at-bats. Jordan Alvarez finally went deep last night for Houston. But now, game six tomorrow night with Verlander and Strasburg a rematch a game two, which saw Strasburg completely out Verlander. Berlander has not won a World Series start. Can you imagine that? He's 0-6 wow. between his days in Detroit and Houston. Um, but obviously, the, the Astros are hoping he reverses that trend tomorrow.
0: Lucky who, do you
1: like in, who do you like in Game 6?
0: Uh, I think he wins his seventh start, and I think the Astros win the World Series, to be honest with you. Yeah,
1: it, it sure is looking that way, right? I mean, they get Game Six at home. They won the Game Five clincher at home against Tampa. They won the Game Six clincher at home against the Yanks. I I would be very, very, very surprised if um, that trend doesn't continue. So uh, I'm going to agree with you, and I think Houston wins a close one tomorrow. I'm thinking something like five three.
0: Yeah, I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be a blowout on either side, but I do think that. Houston has a little more firepower. They've also been here before. And those clutch guys are coming up in clutch situations and taking care of business. Bregman started to turn it on a little bit after a cold start. I just think Houston's got too much firepower. It was a fun year for the Nats. Soto is an absolute stud. He's 21 years old, which is unbelievable. It really is. It's also depressing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, look what Glaber Torres did this, this postseason, oh, 22. It's not. Oh, my God.
0: I mean, I think the Nats have a good future ahead of them. We'll see if they can hold on to some of this pitching that they have. I know Scherzer's there for a while, and obviously Corbin. See if they can hold on to to Strasburg and maybe build up that pen in the offseason. Clearly, they're a win-now team, even with that young roster. Another guy who I really like on that team, aside from the studs like like Turner and Rendon, is Robles. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, Robles is real good,
1: and he missed some time in the NLCS because of a, uh, a tight hammy. Um, Michael A. Taylor played, and he played pretty well. Yeah, Robles has been a top prospect for years. You got him and Soto and Eaton in that outfield, but Rendon is also a free agent this year, and I, I think that he is the and he is the anti Harper, where he is just quiet and he goes about that his business, and the team really follows. His his way of doing things right like he's an assassin at the plate. He's a gold glove third baseman And it's just he's another one of the guys whereas Harper nobody can say And my argument is Nobody can say the Nationals are better from a production standpoint when you don't have Bryce Harper But you can just get a feel like the atmosphere around that team is so much more loose and so much more different in all the good ways that's not a knock on Harper as a player, but that he was an alpha personality that kind of took the steam away from the rest of the team, and uh, obviously we saw what happened in Philly. They didn't even make the playoffs, so I, it was a great year. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what Washington does. They have two huge decisions to make between Strasburg and Rendon, um, but it looks like there's no way that the Astros will re-sign Cole. So. We'll see where he goes, hopefully pinstripes. If not, he won't be returning to Houston. And they might look and say, despite how good their young core is, this might be the last one they get because it's hard to win. It's hard to win in baseball these days.
0: I absolutely agree with you, man. Let's talk about some hirings real quick before we move on to uh, my favorite NCAA football. All right, so... This one was a little surprising to me, but it became less surprising when the when the Cubs went out and got uh, Cody Ross. Phillies got Girardi. David Ross, sorry, well, okay. David Ross.
1: Yeah. I don't
0: know who um, the fuck Cody Ross is.
1: He was like a role player, like outfielder for the Giants and the Marlins and the Red Sox. Oh, he played yeah. for a He's bunch. He's got a of couple teams.
0: rings, I think.
1: Yeah, well, he was. I think the NLCS MVP in 2010 for the Giants. You can look that up. I think that's right. Um, but yeah, man, the Phillies got
0: Girardi. What did you think? I like the move. Wherever Girardi went, I, I, I love the move. Um, I just think he's he's a really good manager. He's solid. Um, you know, he, he fought off the analytics a little bit more than Boone does, who who just seems to be completely enamored with the analytics and just doing what he's told. But I think he's he's a new-age baseball guy, and I think he, he's going to do a really good job in Philly. And he can manage really? those crazy cities obviously managing in new york uh, i don't know what's crazier new york or philly probably philly just because they might actually kill him if they do bad but i think he's going to do a fine job out there you had a totally different take on him as a manager than i did he he is not new school he is a, he is an old
1: school throwback manager i agree who, with you
0: on certain parts of him but i think that he can adapt to the new school and, and, and agree with some of the things that are important. Some of these guys are sure. a little too analytical for my taste. Now,
1: see, to me, that wasn't the big deal because he had always believed in analytics, and I think he was more of a, 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 a mix of old school new school That's with the Yankees in his later years. But I think the reason he wasn't retained by the Yankees was not as much having to do with the analytics or lack thereof. I think he, it, it, he, was, he was a guy that didn't mesh well with a young team that was ready to take that next step, you know. And you see with Boone is, you know, say what you want about Boone, the Yankees have won 203 games in two years. And that's, not, that's hard to do, especially with, this, with the t- things that happened this year. No, I got no and you see he's one him. of the guys. I mean, they, the team absolutely loves him, and when Girardi was a Yankee, you know, there was, particularly when they moved on, you know, of course it was going to be difficult managing farewell tours and, and managing guys that he had played with, like a Jeter and a Rivera and a Posada and a Pettit and all those guys, but, you know, there was a clear, there was a clear relationship that Girardi was the manager and then he had his team. And you could see it in the way in which he sat at the dugout. You could see it in wh- the ways in which he handled his post-game interviews and people and, you know, the, the reports were in the office where he would always stay in his office and there really wasn't a blend of the team. And I don't know how much of that matters, you know, with an, with a veteran team, but with a young team, that was why the Yankees made the move, in my opinion, more so than the analytics. For the Phillies, he is the perfect, perfect manager for this team because Gabe Kapler had that locker room way too relaxed. You bring in a Bryce Harper, you had Andrew McCutcheon who I know got hurt, a David Robertson who I know got hurt, but that team was plenty good enough to to be at least a playoff team. And they were non competitive. They didn't really have an identity and they just did they were they were kind of a bunch of loose cannons. they they're, they're that was a problem and you're gonna have a Jojo already come in there who is great with veteran win now teams because that's all he had with the Yankees for the first six years or so of his of his tenure there and one of them resulted in a World Series a couple other ALCS appearances. So I think that just the marriage between these two teams was perfect. I don't think that the Mets made as much sense aside from the fact he's managed in New York that's a still a younger core team that you know, they say they're in win now mode, but they have some they have some juggling to do as far as their roster. The Phillies are too damn good to not be a far off team, and I expect them to be one of the top four or five teams in the National League next year, and it's legitimately gonna be because of Girardi, don't you?
0: I agree with you, man. He's much better with win now teams, and that's kinda of what I was trying to say. You said it a little bit better than me. I, I think he's built for a veteran team. Now looking at the cubbies, I don't know how to feel about Cody Ross. It's kind of the same thing as Aaron David. Boone this year. Whatever his David name. David Ross. You know me with the names. We just bro. talked
1: about who Cody Ross was. I know your with names, but we just talked. We just corrected
0: it two minutes ago. I'm moving at a thousand miles a minute, bro. I'm making fucking big decisions. These I'll leave these small decisions to you. So, David, Ross. Yeah. Although, you know what?
1: How about you put your bat, your big time decisions, at bay while you do a podcast and get the name right?
0: Can't do that, man. Can't do it. Well, then um, you're you're suffering, David. David Ross. I think I think all the fans are laughing, but David Ross. I, I do. Do you know how to feel about him? I mean, I know he he was a really good analyst and, and a great catcher for a long time, backup and starter for a couple World Series teams. So. I mean, obviously he was a great player, and he knows the game really well, but I I don't know how he's going to fit in there. I know they love him, but sometimes that doesn't make you a good manager.
1: Well, one of those teams that he won a World Series on was the 2016 Chicago Cubs, where he was the backup catcher to Contreras, and he hit that big home run in Game 7, and he was a glue guy. And he was basically... You know, we talked about what Beltron was his last year with Houston, basically a de facto manager or coach on the field, and that's what David Ross was. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Joe Girardi in the sense of back former catcher, used to being a, a starter and a backup, had won world championships, and was considered, you know, one of the glue guys on that team and one of the most respected baseball minds on whatever team he had been on. He's got a much better... I think, more warm personality than Girardi, but one of the problems he's going to have is he's going to manage a team that he just played for. A lot of those guys who were on this team were on the 16 team, and we saw with Girardi and the Yankees was there was a year or so that took a little bit of acclimation, and it, it is different, whether you want to admit it or not. There is a difference between being one of the guys and then managing one of the, all of the guys. Now, if he if he can do kind of what these other managers like an Alex Cora and an Aaron Boone have done, where he can just really uh, you know assimilate himself with the team and he treats it just as he did when he was a player, then I think this team could. I think he's going to be a great asset uh, from the from the knowledge standpoint and the experience standpoint and the relationship standpoint. Obviously, he got his feet wet being a commentator for the last two years on ESPN. He's been around the game. It's not like he retired, went away, and now he's coming back. He's been around all these teams. I think it was a really good hire for the Cubs. It did make sense. There are a few questions, but I don't question these new managers nearly as much as I used to because – It's just, it's different now. I mean, what, what managers are asked to do for the most part, especially new ones who are trying to start new identities with teams, they are basically asked to be PR guys and get along great with their team. And that's what David Ross is going to do. I don't have any question about that. He might lighten up the mood because I do think it became a little bit toxic there with Madden towards the end. So I think this was a really good move by them.
0: I agree with you. The Ma- now Madden was hired by the Angels. I think that's going to be a nice match out there. They're they're one of the they're one of the front runners to sign Garrett Cole as well.
1: They are, and I think that that's going to be something
0: that. About
1: that. <laughs> no, I, but I think there's only a couple of teams that Cole's really going to be that he's going to get play for, and that's the Rangers because it's the, it's Texas and they're opening a new ballpark. It's the Angels because they need an ace, and they just brought in Joe Madden and. Mickey Calloway is their pitching coach, so he's, he's out there in L.A. now. Um, and the other teams are going to be the Yankees and, uh, and the Dodgers, and I think that that's pretty much it. Um, I'd be surprised if there's anybody else that, that moves in on him. Um, but, yeah, Madden out there, that, was, that made the most sense because of his relationship with that organization. He'd been a member of it for about 30 years. Um, I thought Calloway as his pitching coach made a lot of sense, too. The guy who's pitching, you know, whether he can manage is, is a different story, but here he doesn't have to. But the team we are waiting on, and seemingly as always, Tom, the New York Mets. Now, they've narrowed down their search. There are looks like Eduardo Perez and Carlos Beltran are two of those finalists. Uh, excuse me for forgetting uh, the other two. I don't know who the best candidate is and why they seem to always take so long. I'll ask this question in, a, in a, a couple different ways. One, were you surprised that they didn't make a move for Girardi first and foremost?
0: I was surprised just because I think he was probably the best manager on the market. But again, they have a younger team, so maybe they were actually using their brains and thinking about the fact that he, he didn't have as much success managing a younger team.
1: I think it's that, and I think it's a couple uh, a couple other things. One, apparently, he interviewed with them twice, so they didn't, you know, shut him down. You know the figures he got from Philadelphia. I he got three know mil- He got three million a year.
0: That's a what, lot do likelihood-
1: a what do you think the What do you think the likelihood of the Mets paying three million dollars a year to a manager is?
0: I think the Mets are more in the five hundred to a mil range, my friend.
1: Exactly right. So I don't. I'm not going to say it's necessary because they're cheap. I'm not going to say it's because they don't. Uh, they they didn't want them. I think those are reasons, but not the reasons. I think one of the other big reasons is, and we've seen it already on full display since he got here to New York. Roddy Van Wagenen wants this to be his fucking show. He wants to talk in front of the media all day long. He wants to wear his suits. He wants to have his. He wants to just look as fly as he can. He wants to be New York City's icon. He wants to be the reason the Mets win. And if you have a Joe Girardi or even a Buck Showalter, who they haven't even called in for an interview, which I think is egregious, um, that's n- he is no longer going to be, Bro- be Brody's team. That's going to be Joe Girardi's team. That's going to be Buckshaw Walters' team. So I think he it was very diligent. Again, I don't think that's the reason, but I do think it's a reason. I think money. I think, uh, you know, big name overshadowing Van Wagenen. And I also think the fact that Girardi looked at Philadelphia and said this is just a better scenario for me, and Philly agreed was the other reason. But who do you think the best candidate is now for the Mets to move, up, to, move to? Because they got to figure something out soon.
0: I agree with you. Um, I, I like Perez. I think that he can do a really good job. Just listening to him on the broadcast, he knows his baseball. And he's one of these new-age managers as well. I think he's going to do a good job of mixing that with the with the with being the, the player's manager. And I think he's the best guy. To be honest, if you're asking me who I think they're going to hire, I think it's going to be Beltran, but I think that, per- that Perez is probably the best guy they could.
1: Those are very interesting candidates. I'll lean towards Perez with, and and side with you because he has been calling baseball games on ESPN now for several years. What but he time. also does have, yeah, he also does have managerial experience. He's been managing um, some of those um, Dominican baseball winter winter Bo- no, the Dominican winter ball team. I
0: thought he was the manager of a World Baseball Classic team as well. I can't remember. He could have been. I I, I can't a hundred percent
1: acknowledge that i'm not sure if anybody wants to tweet at us that's of sports let us know i do know though that he has been managing in the winter ball leagues and um you know so even if that's not quite major league baseball it's still managing i i think that he's a really good candidate i think his personality would be great for the match you wouldn't have to pay him a lot he is certainly not going to overshadow um brodie van Wagenen. and Beltron's super interesting as a candidate, and for many reasons. One, he played for the franchise. He was argued. He's one of the best franchise players the Mets have ever had in franchise
0: I mean, he's history. The best outfielder for, for that ever
1: played for the Mets. He, dude, he was so good there for a few years. I know that. I know that it never resorted in the World Series and that famous. he's the anti-Boone. You know, people remembered Boone when the Yankees hired him in this Game Three ALCS walk-off. Met fans remember him as staring at Wainwright's filthy Uncle Charlie to end Game 7 of the uh, 06 NLCS. But yep. Beltron was phenomenal, um, and he obviously played for the Yankees for a few years, and he's and he served this year as a special assistant to Brian Cashman in the Yankee organization, worked with spring training, worked with a lot of the young players, did some scouting. He knows baseball incredibly well. As I said before about some of these other guys, like a David Ross, Beltron was a major part of that 17 Astro team, not because of his production, but you know just what he did for that young team that was getting ready to win. He's bilingual, he, has, he knows the New York market. Um, I think and, and there were reports that have surfaced over the last few years that when the Yankees were going through their managerial search, that remember, it took like over a month and a half, they had Boone, they had Hensley Mullins, uh, they had Chris Woodward and they had Beltram. and there have been some people in the in the media who I trust like like uh, Joel Sherman and Sweeney Murphy, that said belt finished second and he had just retired like a month before so he was very very impressive to the Yankees anyway just didn't feel like he was ready to make that jump immediately and they loved Boone. but um I think he'd be a very interesting candidate if you ask me I'll say it's paris but I could see Beltran getting the shot. Either way, you know the Mets. It's going to come down to money. It's going to come down to notoriety. And it's going to come down to, you know, just what, is, what does Van Wagenen want? I, ultimately, I think that Van Wagenen should just walk on down, put on a, just put on a uniform and manage the goddamn team himself with how much he wants to talk to the media and how much control he wants to have about
0: in-game decisions. So you welcome on the pod?
1: Oh, I would love to talk to Brody.
0: Yeah. Okay, decision made, my friend. Brody, you have an open invite to the pod. Somebody else we're going to have to have on the pod soon, and I was actually talking to him recently. He wants to have another little crossover as Mike Phillips, because I'd definitely like to hear a true Mets fan's opinion.
1: I think it would be great to get him on once they make their decision, and then we can talk about the process, the candidates he really wanted, how he felt about Showalter not getting a call, about Girardi not getting the job darting for a division rival and then ultimately who they decide on because I think who they decide on is going to tell us a lot about what they think their team could do. I'll
0: tell you what, we could have them on for a little before and after. Hey, works for me. Alright my friend, let's move on to the next thing. I want to talk NBA right now because the Knicks are playing, but before that we're going to talk some NCAA football. I believe my Pokes won this week. I had—I did not get a chance to watch but I think they won this week. Go Pokes! Go fucking pokes, man. So all right, LSU moves up to number one after they well, beat up on the, Auburn in the AP poll, and yeah. they they
1: hardly they hardly beat up on. They won twenty three twenty in Death Valley in that three thirty game. But I mean, I think it Coach was Joe just you said they you beat know, up
0: on them, so I'm just gonna. Just gonna keep it going. <laughs>
1: it's the it's the AP polls, and especially in the non-BCS era, that doesn't mean nearly as much. I think it's just recency bias. Alabama played Arkansas; they beat them for uh, you know they beat them easily, and I think it was forty-five-seven. Um, so you know, if you're beating Auburn, that that's gonna look a little bit more impressive in the time. But to me, that's just semantics. That was a hell of a game, though. Bo Nick's played really well it was a great game. He did show some freshman moments. Joe Burrow though know, gives this team such a different dynamic. It's amazing what they do. Coach O is it's coaching up when that they defense. A quarterback
0: down there, huh? It really is, man. It really is. And Can you imagine just, if they had a quarterback a great team. back when uh, back when your boys your boy Odell and Jarvis were playing.
1: Oh my god. It's a, it's it's a crying they didn't
0: I agree with you completely, man. But they moved up to number one in that random poll. When did when did the what is it the first or the second rankings come out for um for the real college football rankings? The
1: first or second rankings are going to come out, I believe, in about three weeks. Okay. I think it's the second week in November that they're going to start coming out. Okay. And the second, and we're two we're two weeks away, just under two weeks from
0: LSU, Alabama. LSU, Bama. Yes, that's going to
1: be a
0: game that I'm going to be tuned into.
1: That's going to be amazing, and maybe Tua comes back for it. They're they're certainly hoping so in Tuscaloosa. Yes,
0: yeah, so they seem to be managing okay, but they have a late schedule, so. Yeah, and again, you know, you play the teams on your schedule, yep. and you
1: know Arcan- Arkansas is not all that good. But hey, we saw Mac Jones get a full start this week, and uh, he looked really well. He looked he really good, rather, and he was well prepared, um, as you knew he would be. But you know, two, if you're going to beat LSU, you got to believe that two is playing in that
0: game oh yeah they're they're definitely doing all the rehab and everything to get him ready for that game. Moving on to the next game, Oklahoma loses to a pretty good defense although and I feel like forty eight points in the big twelve is a little bit light. They lose forty eight to forty one to Kansas state in uh, Manhattan, uh not New York, but in Kansas
1: good. oh good good I was, I was a little confused. um no that was they call it the little apple. How cute is that? <laughs> very cute um this was a shocker to me now k-state has some players on that team and they could be frisky at ties but never in my wildest dreams did i think that they were going to pull the upset jalen hurts had another monster game their defense just they couldn't get a stop and not that like kansas state played a great defensive game either but uh it, you know this, these kind of games can happen in that conference because every team can sling the ball around the yard and Oklahoma just didn't show up defensively. And, and the biggest thing here is this game is going to knock them out of a national championship contention because no team that they're going to play down the rest of the stretch or even in a big 12 championship game is going to have the cachet level to jump them back up in the polls. Absolutely, man. This cost them.
0: Over the last two weeks, because he has not played nearly as well, I think Hurts kind of ruined his Heisman chances over the past couple weeks as well. The
1: loss, I think, is going to hurt him more. He still had a really good game in this game. Uh, the, 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 The level in which he was playing at was unsustainable. I mean, he was putting up... Better numbers than Baker, better numbers than Kyler. Like it was, it was insane. I mean, but it just goes to show. I mean, this team does have flaws. They are, a, they don't have a defense. And in division play, in conference play, on the road, anything can happen. And it wasn't, too, it wasn't uh, Jalen's fault at all. Um, it was just, a, it was one of those fluke games that happens.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. The only way I think, well, obviously they got to run the table and also win the Big 12 championship. The only way is if one or two of these top teams lose. Like if you see a Clemson go down because two, because uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't been playing that well, although I think they're fine and their schedule's really weak, or you see maybe an Alabama go down to to an LSU, then maybe they have a shot. Yeah, the
1: only problem with that, though, is, is that you do look at Clemson's schedule. I can't see them. I don't know who they're losing to because there's not even anybody in the ACC championship game that is going to really give them a fight. I mean, they got they they were they were put on notice by uh, North Carolina, and that was probably going to be the closest game they played the rest of the way. What's going to be interesting in the in the SEC is in two weeks, one of Clemson and uh, or, uh, uh, Alabama we... and LSU is going to lose. So one of those teams is going to lose and the other one's going to go and represent the West in the SEC championship game. Now, if if that team loses to a Georgia or a Florida, whoever wins this week between those two teams is going to go to the uh, SEC championship game. If either LSU or Bama loses to one of Florida or Georgia, now you're talking about another SEC team that's out, and maybe then. And then the only other way I can see it is if Ohio State loses to Penn State. Other than that, I, I, I really can't see a way in which Oklahoma gets in. It's no, going to no, be almost impossible.
0: It's a tough situation, especially in college football, because when you lose one game, it's pretty much over for you. But now you're just cheerleaders for teams for teams that are playing the best teams, and that's a shitty spot to be in.
1: They're going to need chaos in the next six seven weeks, and they're going to uh, they're going to have to obviously run the table.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of chaos. Michigan, I think this is Jim Harbaugh's, I think this is his best win at, at Michigan. They beat Notre Dame 45-14. to 14. They fucking killed him. And Notre Dame, that was one of the worst
1: games I've seen Notre Dame play in a long time. The weather conditions were just terrible in Ann Arbor. I mean, just monsoon rains. Um, but Shea Patterson played okay. They ran the ball down their throws, and their defense was great. Um I, this was a very impressive showing by a Wolverine team that I have very, really much questioned. And I don't think it's all Harbaugh, but I think it's partially him. I mean, they were a dropped t- touchdown in that Penn State game, away from possibly upsetting Penn State. Remember, they, they were down 14 nothing early, came back, and they had a chance to tie that game with that with that touchdown pass that got dropped in the end zone. Um they they took their anger out on Notre Dame. Notre Dame did not look good. This was this was really good Michigan. I think this was Harbaugh's signature win, as you said. But uh, this was really bad Notre Dame. They had no offense to speak of at all.
0: No, not at all. All right. So moving on to the next one, Oregon survives against Washington State out in the Pac-12. Oof. I think Oregon, in my opinion, is the best team in the Pac-12. That might just be saying, you know, I don't know. What's what's an analogy? You're the best not looking not that I, You're the best yeah. looking, you know, person at Sean's house. I don't know. <laughs> oh that now that's not right. Yeah,
1: that, come on. <laughs> um You're bad You're such a bad guy. Oh, I, I, still, go owe
0: you, I still owe you two minutes worth of compliments, but I really want to do that one in person.
1: Yeah. a Really good way to start too there, you dick. Um <laughs> yeah. I, 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 um I have an analogy, but I really don't want to say it because it's just not right. Um, Yeah,
0: I I do too, but I'm not going to say it. uh,
1: No, we we don't mind going off brand a little, but even there's some things we can't do, especially if we're trying to get picked up by some sponsors. We don't want that egg on our face. But you know, this is another game. I mean, you could you could make a case Oregon, you could make a case Utah. I, I know I know they lost to Oregon, but but Washington's still a really good team. I, I don't know, man. I mean, just none of these teams do it for me because What's I look at in-
0: they're not even close to the championship. You know?
1: No, but they have. I mean, Herbert. I mean, this is a game where I look at for not nearly as much the standings, but I look at it from a quarterback standpoint. And again, you have talent in your wide receivers. I know your offensive line is well, really his best good. Best wide
0: receiver's been hurt all year. And he just yeah, up. but you know what? He's got talent, and that offensive line keeps him upright. He's got to be better than this, in my opinion. My funny finding- thing with watching Herbert is I, he's got he's six foot what six foot five to six foot seven in that range. He's huge, and he's got he's got a rocket arm. He can really run too. But some of the more some of the more uncoachable things, I guess you would call it, um, like or, or maybe the things that he can't adjust into. Yeah, he doesn't have that. He doesn't really have great cadences at the line. He doesn't really seem like he he's poised and drives his team down the field. And he's not that accurate either. Frankie made a really good comp and he was talking about he knew who he is, in his opinion, was Jake Walker. Remember
1: Jake Locker was, he was in at Washington Washington and he was cut short
0: due to injury.
1: Yeah, he was a Heisman front runner. He was he was on a team that wasn't great, but he played real well. His draft stock was as high as he ever would have been. He decided to go back to school for his senior year. Didn't play nearly as well. A lot of his flaw, a lot of his flaws came out. He was still a first-round pick, but obviously he just never worked. Remind me again, was he Jacksonville, right? No, Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay, so uh, either way, I mean, you know, they were drafting another quarterback three years later in Mariota, four years later in Mariota. So. I don't. I, I I I looked at that comp. I was like, you know, that's not a bad one because Herbert, if he went last year, probably would have been, you know, the second one after uh, after Kyler, right? Mm-hmm. He probably so, would have been a giant. He uh, He easily could have been. And I and I, wa- I was I watched a lot of Oregon games when the Giants were sucking last year to to, look, to get a read on this guy. But there has been something amiss about him. You know, he's. He's got every measurable you could possibly want. He's got every skill set you could possibly want. If you if you if you created a quarterback in a lab, it would be Justin Herbert. But he just leaves so much out there to me where I'm just scratching my head I'm thinking, you know, you could be so much better and I'm sure he's still going to be a super high draft pick because because of those measurables and because of those skill sets, coaches are going to think they could reign him in, especially around all NFL talent. And he seems like he's going to be a combine you know love affair i could see people just in March gushing over him at the combine can't you just because of everything he does
0: i mean yeah he's a freak athlete but uh, again he's not that accurate uh, and sometimes the combine isn't everything
1: no but you know as to the bears i mean they they chose Trubisky because of the combine and, and it can it can do a lot for guys draft stock i mean jones oh, no doubt now who, who the hell had heard of daniel jones and, you know, the, the combine and the interviews was what shot him up, draft, up uh, draft boards. But, yeah, Oregon, anyway, you know, they're another one of these big the Pac-12 teams. Um, you know, they're in the top 15. They're in the top 25. But you beat Washington State by two at home. That's yeah, that was no good. Um, Ohio State stayed undefeated. They're amazing. Uh, and Penn State remain unbeaten they beat up on michigan state those two play each other in columbus in two weeks and that's going to be the big 10 game of the year yeah
0: easily i think ohio state probably wins that one by 10 points but you know it's a little early to be handicapped and obviously we mentioned Bamo, they won their game as well with their backup quarterback all right so is there any big games coming up next week before we move on to the nba that you have your eye on or are we waiting for that matchup in two weeks
1: Oh no! I'm looking forward to Florida Georgia. Okay, that's going to be a great game. Um, well, six against for the
0: SEC East, right there.
1: I want to say six and against nine. I think that's their rankings. But either way, uh, yeah, that's for the SEC East, man. Uh, the winner of that game is going to go go to Atlanta in a couple of uh, in a little over a month and represent that division in the SEC title game. Uh, I expect this game to be really good. Um, you know, Florida has played well with Trask under center ever since the injury of Franks. Their defense is a week, and um, obviously so is Georgia. I mean, they had that hiccup against Will, South Carolina, Gamecocks, but they're still a tremendous team. Um, they've got NFL talent all over the field. Kirby Smart's a hell of a coach. I'm looking forward to this game. This is the 3.30 SEC game of the week, and I love that. It's like that perfect, like, mid-afternoon, still do shit at night, get the best game of the weekend early. And uh, Penn State's playing Mich- uh, Minnesota, and uh, one ga- one reason to watch that game is, is that a let-up game before Ohio State? Will James Franklin have that team ready to play? Minnesota's not a bad team. Um, will Penn State be ready to win this game um, and not overlook Minnesota before that clash in Columbus?
0: I think he will. I think he's one of the best coaches in the Big Ten, but let's move on to some NBA. I'm excited All right, to let's talk about this. So, before we jump into our locals, because I'm sure you got a lot to say about the Nets. <clears throat> I'm getting a little choked up talking about the Knicks already, although they did just win their first game. I, uh, oh, they won tonight? I thought they were down at 10 at the half, so they, they beat the Bulls. Yeah, they came back on the Bulls. You know every NBA team makes a run, and, and they did a good job of it. I have some good things and some bad things to say about my Knicks. My impressions of the league in the first, in the first couple weeks, first of all, Luka Doncic has taken a huge leap forward from his Rookie of the Year season. He looks incredible, and I think that the Sixers and the Clippers are on a crash course for the NBA Finals.
1: Both teams look really good, don't they? Absolutely. Um, I think think the Clippers, what they did to the Lakers in that first game, um, I mean, they don't even have Paul George yet, and they are just so much better. And that defense that we talked about on our preview, and a lot of people have obviously talked about in various previews and looking at this season – they're fucking incredible. That team really meshes well. Denver um, looks really good. Denver looks great. What do you think about the Lakers so far?
0: The Lakers have been, if I were to use one word to describe them, just unappealing. Hmm. You know, I That's know, quite a word, yeah. Obviously, you got LeBron out there and you got AD, but besides that, until Rondo comes back and starts running a real offense, the only thing I've really been interested to see, because the Lakers have been on national TV already like three times, and I think any, everybody's only played f- three to four games, is uh, I love watching Dwight Howard run around out there. God, he, he, he I mean, he how much must weight did he like lose? like 40 pounds. But you know what? He's really committed from what I see, and we're only four games in, to that role player role. He is. The
1: question, though, is is he big enough? He's already gotten stuffed at the rim a couple of times. I know. Like, his, his game is like, has been always to be a force at the basket. And he doesn't look like a
0: force. No, not at all. But when you have all those back problems you gotta, and you get a little older, I guess you've got to take some weight off. Oh, I'm for it. He's running the floor really well, I have to say. He, he is. His physique looks great, just not for an NBA center. Not for him when you don't have any finesse. I think it's a great like, hey, I got the rest of my life
1: to live, kind of physique, not a hey, I got to go get 17 minutes a night uh, for in an NBA game as a center.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. The other thing that I noticed um, was talking about the Denver Nuggets, and, and we didn't mention this in our preview when they traded for Jerry and Grant. He looks incredible. Yeah, we,
1: we skipped over that. He is he is so good, and and what a what a great move by that front office to compliment already the really good players that that team has you mentioned will barton as your sixth man of the year um this team this team is is going to be damn good and that's probably why you picked them to be the number one seed in the in the conference right
0: yeah i did i just think that this team's going to be poised to be the best team for the regular season and then the clippers are just going to say hey you guys had your fun we're going to take over from here and, and win when it matters no, it made sense to me.
1: I mean, I, I picked the Jazz for that same that same school of thought, and they also looked good. Um, I am a little
0: surprised at how bad the Warriors have looked. I know it's only me three team. games; it's a totally different
1: it's a totally different team.
0: But it's still Steph. Warriors it's still Draymond. Bad, but D'Lo has looked good. D'Lo looks good, but I do understand. I know it's a very early
1: sample size, and I'm sure he's trying to just you know figure out where he needs to be on the floor and how to play with Steph which is an easy to win Steph, because of how great Steph is. Um, but I can see how he doesn't necessarily fit. He'll give them points, but are those points huge points or are they, or are they more empty points? And uh, I'm surprised with how badly they've gotten their shit rocked. I expect them to come back and still be a good team and on the fringe of the postseason. That's why I picked them sixth in the playoffs. But I, I don't know. I mean, they, they really can't look any worse than they have the first three games.
0: No, they 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 can't. And I think they're going to I think they're still going to be in the playoffs. I again, I mentioned the Mavericks. I think Houston looks like a lot of fun. I think that team... Did you see Russ and and Harden get into it already in the first game of the year? Yeah, but you know what? Those they're boys. I mean, if me and you were playing basketball, I'd probably end up screaming at you at some point too, right? Well, maybe vice versa, but sure. Oh, okay. All right. We all know I run the point. <laughs> But um, a, a couple other That's teams, fine. Raptors. Raptors have looked pretty good of recent, and, and I think the Celtics have looked good as well. Celtics have looked good, but you're already starting to see some of those defensive problems uh, slip in. And I'll well, tell you this: they don't have a center. I
1: when they played the Sixers, I know that was opening night for them, but they got their shit rocked. Well, in that the game.
0: Sixers are just again—they're in a different class. They're far they beyond the best team in the East. It's not even close. They are. They are, but if we're going to talk about much this, better than the Bucks too. If we're going to talk about the Celtics and that might be true, but if we're
1: going to talk about the Celtics being a contender in the East or a team that's going to be a top three or four playoff team, I'm not saying that I would pick them to win a seven game series, but I would like to see a little bit more of competitive game against the Philadelphia 76ers, And the thing that I saw in that game in particular, and to be perfectly honest, I know they beat the Knicks the other night. I didn't watch a second of that game, but. I do have questions because Kemba Walker is not the kind of scorer Kyrie Irving is, and there's going to be times where I, if Jalen Brown isn't having a night or Tatum's not having a night, where are they getting their other points? Because Hayward's are more of an overall player, right? Like he's not a guy that says go get me that you say go get me 35 tonight, go get me 40 tonight. He's not necessarily going to do that, and you could do that with Kyrie. And when we talk about the Nets, we'll talk about him, but. I do wonder about that because I don't think Kemba's that kind of guy either, and, and and they might have some trouble
0: when games where their defense isn't good. I don't know how they can mac, uh, make up for that and attract me. I agree with you completely, man, and Kemba is that guy, but Kemba's that guy on a 30-win Hornets team. He's not that guy right. on a team that you expect to win 49 games this year and be a three-seed.
1: Right, and again, I, I when I p- talked about them, I, I think that he fits that team better than Kyrie,
0: obviously. I, I think, think the chemistry think is going to be better. Team, I think this team is going to be really, really reliant on Gordon Hayward being the Gordon Hayward of old.
1: Yeah, and if he can't do that, then they're in trouble, and that's kind of why I looked at them as the five, or, or as the four, rather, because they are they do have questions, and I'm definitely not going to take anything away from them. It's, I mean, they've, what, they've played three games? But just standing off because I did watch a good amount of that Sixer game, and they were totally outclassed. And it's just, I, I wonder how they're going to get scoring sometimes and their defense it leaves a little bit to be desired.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Both of our teams are under five hundred right now. Why don't you jump in and talk about your Brooklyn Nets? Kyrie has looked excellent. Um, but I, I was a little perplexed today. I, I looked at my bleacher report and DeAndre Jordan started tonight.
1: Uh, last night. Last night, um, I'm but, sorry? Yeah, so, it, it's interesting. I mean, I expected there to be a little bit of a, of a adjustment. I mean, every time, I mean, we talked about Kyrie and for D'Angelo Russell, but there's a lot of other new players on this team. I mean, you have David and Waba, you have Garrett Temple, you have DeAndre Jordan, you know, instead of the Ed Davis, the Jared Dudleys, and the, you know, um... Damari Carroll's of the world. You have Torian Prince, too, who I will again against your Knicks. Yeah, he's a great player. I think, you know, there is a little bit of an adjustment because as good as D'Angelo Russell was at times, he still wasn't a complete takeover player like Kyrie is. And Kyrie had 50, and then I think 34, and then he had 37 last night. I mean, he, he does things on the court that nobody on the Nets has, is used to having a player be able to do. Including Kenny Atkinson. You know, he's never coached a guy who can do what he can do. And I do think there there is going to be a little bit of an adjustment period to figure out floor spacing and defensive schematics. And Kyrie even talked about that post game last night of, hey, you know, we got to do a better job of picking up the next man's guy and figuring out where we need to be and get a little bit more physical on defense. I think all that will come. You know, losing to the Grizzlies and the and the Wolves in two of the games are, are, are certainly things you, you when you look at the schedule, don't think that they're going to do. But, you know, they get young teams early who have good players. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns went off, and they lost both games in overtime. You know, and those are sometimes, usually when you lose in overtime, it's because... You know, you're just not making the stops when you need to make stops, and that's been the story of the Nets. I de- I definitely think they'll get better, but it'll be it'll take them a little bit of time. I, I kind of knew that off the bat, but just watching Kyrie, I mean, I, I I probably said wow about 70 times in watching him in three games. He's he is truly truly unbelievable. There's not a there's not a move. That he doesn't have in his arsenal.
0: No, not at all. And he made that, uh, literally mirrored the shot of the clinching final shot against the Knicks to clinch the Knicks game. And, and, and we were testing each other. And game was a lot closer. And, and there was, it was, a, it was a terrible game to watch. I, I stayed. Oh, both teams were sloppy as well. I've all never though. seen so many travels in one fucking game, man. There must have been 10. It was abysmal. And do you have any finishing points before I jump into my knickerbockers? Yeah, just
1: to finish up, I mean,
0: I, I think that, you know, it, it, you don't like to lose those
1: games, as I said, but I, I do believe that they're going to figure shit out. When you mentioned DeAndre Jordan starting, uh, I'm sure you watched the next game, or you watched the Knicks game, so you saw how bad he was that night. But opening night, too, Jared Allen looked completely and utterly lost in the first two games of the year. Yeah, he needs to and a And I think that, I mean, he ended up getting a double-double off the bench last night. So, I don't think it was a permanent move, but Atkinson's trying to figure out his rotations and who should play with who. Dinwiddie had a great game against your Knicks. Individually, there's a lot of good players, and guys like Garrett Temple and David Nwaba, you know, they are pros as far as, you know, filler guys and space guys and and role players, but, you know, you had DeMar Carroll on the team for a while, and, you know, you're trying to get these new guys to work in with your Dinwiddies and your Laverts and your Harris's and your Allen's who know the system. Yeah, so absolutely. It, 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 it does take a little bit of time. I mean, I picked them to be the three seed, you know, they're going to win they're, the way that I see in the first three games is they're going to basically win games Literally just because Kyrie is Kyrie, and that's how I felt about the Knicks game. the The Nets, I know, held the Knicks scoreless, and I'm sure when you talk about your team in a, in a couple seconds, you're gonna you're gonna harken back to that. But it, the only difference really in that game to me was the Nets had Kyrie Irving and the Knicks didn't. Because
0: okay, I, I didn't really see even. any.
1: I didn't really see. No, I'm serious. Like, I didn't really see heard. anything. I didn't really see anything else in that game that made me think that wow, the Nets totally outclassed the Knicks that game could have gone either way just down the stretch the Nets had Kyrie Irving and and that was that was the difference but go ahead my man talk Uh, about your last thing on the
0: Nets I mean I think your core guys look good that are going to be on this team for playoff runs with KD I cool. Levert (laughs) looks really good Oh, yeah, and Dinwiddie, too. Absolutely, Dinwiddie, and then even Kuroks, who I think is going to find his way to have a role on this team for the future. And Harris, he's knocking down threes, which is what he's supposed to do, and he can do a little bit more than that. I saw him get to the bucket a couple times as well. Yeah, and
1: he's great without the ball. Um, he, he's kind of like a mini radic, like he never stops moving. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, they're, they're going to have to figure everything out. But I like Atkinson. I like what Ky- I do. This is a team that I think Kyrie's good for. Because unlike the unlike the Celtics, you know, the Celtics went to Game 7 of the Eastern Final without him. And they had guys who were expected to take that next week. Now, this next team was a 42-win team last year in the sixth seed who got blown out in five. You know, they, they didn't go on this fairy tale run. They went on a fairy tale run for what people expected of them, a team that, you know, 12 months ago were expected to tank or, you know, were suggested to tank. But Kyrie's good for this team because... I do think his I do think his his leadership and his uh, his experience in making big shots and big moments does help, and he can tell guys, listen, this is what you got to do in overtime games or down the stretch to help win. Because you know nobody really, especially the core guys, the veterans, sure, but the core guys who are going to have a lot of say in whether the Nets win or lose more games this year, or if they're a real contender, they've never been anywhere close to those situations before. So this might be. A team that Kyrie can really use that for, and, and he's gotten on their guys a little bit, but not as a dick. More or less, like, hey, let's fucking go. Come on, like, get up in your guy's face. Don't allow those open spots. Cover to your cover to your next man's guy when they when they get past you or when they get past them. You know, all that stuff is going to be a little work in progress. But we're obviously going to see. We don't expect them to be a championship team this year, but I would be disappointed if they are any any anywhere near what they were last year. Because I do think they're a better team.
0: I agree with you, man. All right, so let's jump into the Knicks. There's a few things that I've seen that I'm really happy about, even though they're only one and three. Yeah, one and three, but there's a few things that I'm super disappointed in. First of all, I, I don't know if Fizdale's the coach of the future. Every single time there's a timeout, first of all, this team is terrible defensively in transition. I was just watching the Knicks Bulls games. I just watched probably three back to back possessions where the Knicks didn't get back off of a rebound because they were bitching to the ref. And the Bulls ran down and knocked down a three. And immediately after three of them, Fizzel calls timeout, goes after the ref. You gotta be in your play and your young players' faces saying, I don't fucking care about the call. The call already the call or the missed call already happened. You need to be in your players' faces saying, What the fuck are you guys doing? I know the call happened, but you gotta play through the whistle now. Come on. So that's my first thing that I'm upset about. I don't really think Fizzell's doing a good job coaching him up. Second thing I'm disappointed about. I'm already sick and fucking tired of Markeith Morris and Julius Marcus. Randall. Whoever, which one of, whichever. Don't give me either of the twins. I, I like Julius Randall and I think he's a really skilled player and he's good on a good team, but he's not good for building a young team. I, I Morris, I think is is an absolute lost cause. I saw again tonight. The, the ball dies in his hands. He tries to dribble like he's a point guard. He doesn't play create for anybody else. And if I see another goddamn free-throw line jumper from him with 14 seconds left on the shot clock, I'm going to kill myself. I said it. Strong.
1: Yeah. That well, feels like a weird reason to do it, though. Of all your other misery, I feel like him I'm, taking free-throw jump shots. It's a threat. He's just doing is...
0: it now. You know, he doesn't want to it right. on his hands. Uh, uh, and, and, and he's got this tough guy. Actually, rolling. he might. He might. Yeah, he's kind of crazy. He might. He's got this tough guy thing, but his tough guy thing is different than another guy on the Knicks who I love because there's a guy on the team and they signed all these power forwards who I really like because he plays his ass off and he'll fight anybody just because he's playing so hard, and that's Bobby Portis who never stops moving, is a dog defensively, and he's going to get in a fight with somebody just because he wants it more. Morris is just going to talk shit. And that's why he's gonna get in a fight. It's not because he wants to win so badly or whatever. He's trying to fight the other guy just because he's a straight up asshole. And he completely kills the offense. He'll catch the ball at the top at the top of the key or or, or, or wherever, mostly at the top of the key, and just hold it. And let the offense move around. Then he does three dribbles, a little crossover, and pulls up. And it just kills me. The ball dies in his hands. Julius Randle, I don't want to see you bringing the ball up on a fast break and getting it poked away from behind you. Or or posting up with 20 seconds left on the shot clock, bringing it down to five, and then shooting a jumper that goes in 20% of the time. And they went to him in that Nets game on the last play when Kevin Knox is red hot. And what does he do, Sean? When he's getting double teamed, he dribbles the ball off of his foot out of bounds. Now today I saw him, he dribbled into a double team, kicked it out to Bobby Portis for for three. I was happy with that, but you're not going to see that that often with a guy like Julius Randle. I do not like those two players, and I don't like the way that they've been coached thus far. So you want to talk about what I like now? Sure. So what I like, first I mean, of all, I kind of was enjoying your
1: rants, but I guess if you want to be right. positive... We're
0: three games in. I'm not that upset. I, I The only thing I'm upset about is Morris. No, you're just giving early impressions on what you like and
1: don't
0: like. I get it. I, You know what? Honestly, I hope Morris gets his numbers. Maybe he'll actually start hitting that free throw line jumper, and he'll start averaging 16 points a game instead of 12, and they can trade him. that That's my hope. But... With that being said, I I already mentioned it, I fucking love Bobby Portis. I really do. The guy can knock down a corner three, he can get you off the dribble a little bit, he can post up, and he plays fucking hard, period, on defense and offense. He's a dog in the post, he can rebound, I, I I love his game, and he really plays hard. And the other thing I like is the young guys. I really like R.J. Barrett, I'd like to see a little more outside shooting out of him, but I think that'll come with time. Trier is a microwave. He is what he is. He's going to knock down a lot of threes. He's been shooting the ball really well. I'd like to see him get a little more run. And the thing that I'm most happy with and that I'm most excited about so far is Kevin Knox. He's taken it up a level. I saw him hit two, three threes in the game that I watched today. He hit a lot of threes against the Nets in that previous game. And he got to the, and he got to the basket and he got to the line a lot as well. He's really taking a leap forward this year. So those are the things that I like. Everything else, I have to watch more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think, you know, for me watching that whole Nets game, and I watched some of the game, uh, their opening night uh, against the Spurs, you know, there's a couple of things that I, I question with Fisdale, and I think all Knicks fans do as well as far as his ability to put guys in the right situations. I did not like, and I know you were losing your shit, you know, you're playing the Nets, right, in Brooklyn, and you're not. You, you've come all the way back. The Nets were up by as many as 16 or 17 in that game. Wayne Ellington, another another guy who can get really hot, and he's a veteran shooter. He knows how to drain shots when he's on. You know, he helps bring him back in. Kevin Knox was a guy the Nets just couldn't stop. Um, R.J. Barrett was getting his. And you make your whole last three minutes ch- and change – only the Marcus Morris and, uh, and Julius Randle show. And the Nets just clogged the middle with Jordan and Torian Prince and when Jared Allen was in there and Kurok's. And they were completely overmatched. And I'm just thinking, listen, this is a time where you need to see, you know, not put the ball in Barrett's hands or Knox's hands per se, but at least draw a place to get them involved. And you know what? If Morris or Randle or Portis or any of those guys don't like it, Tough shit because they know what that they signed up for and that and that's a veteran team. I remember last year, the first thing the Nets started doing was they would draw up all the wait minute plays for Kyrie Irving. Now you had your you had your veterans, you had your your three point guys, but it was hey, this is a guy that we need to rely on and he needs to take the next step. And if we lose, it's going to be because we take our lumps with him. But we want him to be the guy in the moment. And we're gonna we're gonna roll with that because he's our he's the guy we're building around. The next thing does fucking do the same thing with Barrett and Knox. Knox, I've been very impressed with. I think I look at Barrett and say, "There's not a thing the guy can't do on the floor." He's 19 years old. He's gonna figure shit out. He's he's a great talent. I mean, I watched that net game. and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like this guy's gonna be really good.
0: Um, strong. He's, he's strong. gonna be really good. He's yeah, He's he, great. He I is, love him. And and that's my thing. Just going back to the Nets game alone, like you you're not you, you mean to tell me you're gonna clog the paint instead of having RJ Barrett bring the ball up and surround him with shooters? No, don't get me wrong. I think part of that was because
1: in that spur game they had Barrett playing point guard and it didn't work very well. So they they got better when when he was uh, when he was taken out of the point guard role, but I don't know, man. He's not a point guard. He can take the ball up, but he's a slasher, and he's a guy that can find his spot on the floor. And he's great in in those kind of situations and iso ball, much like Knox is. I mean, he can take the ball up the court too. I don't know what you're going to be looking from Dennis Smith. Uh, you mentioned Trier. They are what they are. As far as the veterans are concerned, I like state Yeah, no, he's fine. I mean, the ball sticks in his hand when he's cold. I mean, it's ugly. But um, I, I think, all again, all you're looking for with the veterans is understand your roles. And Fizdale has to do a better job of communicating that to these guys. Because if he doesn't, and there's miscommunication between, hey, we're trying to prioritize the young guys, but also making sure that the veterans get theirs so you can win a couple more games or trade them. That's not what this season is about. The season is about whether you keep those guys or not developing the young guys and making sure that from start of the season to finish, there is legitimate growth and maturation and, and progress. And if there isn't, it'll be because the veterans got too many minutes or too much leash, um, or that these guys just weren't all that good. And I, you definitely don't think it's going to be the latter. At least I don't. So, Put them, in, put them in position. That, that's what we want to see from the New York Knicks. We don't want to see Marcus Morris and Julius Randle taking last-minute shots against a team that, you know, can't stop the other two. So that's how I look at it. I wouldn't be upset. You know, you want to win games, especially games that you, you feel good about because you're still at a point in the season where you don't want to use the word tanking yet because I do think from a talent perspective you guys are better than you were last year. But – Much like the Nets, and much like a lot of teams that are that have a bunch of new personnel, I mean, you've got a bunch of fucking power forwards and centers and small forward hybrids. Like, I don't know how many guys you can play at the three or the four, and shit, even the five. But there's a lot of them. So Fizdale better find a find a rotation that works, find spots and and you know lineups where certain guys can play together. Certain guys need to be on the floor with other personnel. Who's, you know, coming off the bench? Who's starting? It's going to take a while. It is. Um, And it's a tough thing for young players because I'm looking at, you know, I'm watching that Memphis-Nets game last night, right, that was ended in a Jay Crowder three at the buzzer, which is just, you know, fine. But that team knows exactly what they're doing on offense. I mean, they ran some great plays. They were completely in synergy. And because they know who's going to be on the floor when, and they know who's going to be there probably throughout the year, and guys like John Morant and Jaron Jackson, that's gonna that's good for them. You know, that's that's good for them because they can build that continuity, and that'll help them know where they need to be. As far as the Knicks, I mean, you're you're going to have Kevin Knox playing with two or three or four different lineups probably for the first couple weeks. Same with uh, R.J. Barrett, and and that can be tough.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I just want to see those guys get some run. I don't care how many games we win this year. I Honestly, as much as I complain about Morris and, and Randall, I, I've been happy with what I've seen so far. Pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that.
0: All right, man. Well, that about wraps it up. We're going to have to see who wins this World Series. I think it ends tomorrow. I think you're in agreement with me there. Yep. And then we're into the offseason, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Yankees and what they need to do, because they, what they really need to do is win a fucking World Series. So we'll have to see about that. But we will be back this coming Wednesday with a Wednesday NFL, my friend. In studio, man. Looking forward to seeing you. It's been a bit. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your night. Take care, guys.